Good morning. Uh, following up from Owen's, uh, I think thought I ought to say, uh, good morning, peeps on the seats, perhaps wenches on the benches, or just yous on the pews. Uh, you see what I've been doing since then. <laughs> Have been worshipping God as well. Uh, and actually, I am building on what Owen said earlier, but I'm going back to um, last week's vision talk, um, which if you didn't hear, you must. Uh, that's a command from the front, because uh, it's good and it's encouraging. It was the vision sermon for this whole period of our church's life. So go back to the website and have a good listen to that. So, friends, let me take you to Disneyland. That wasn't what you were expecting this morning, which is perfectly good. A long time ago, when our kids were younger, we had a holiday to France, which included a totally uh, precious and exciting trip to Disneyland Paris, so long ago that it was called Euro Disney. We had it all planned, our day tickets were booked, a campsite on the west side of Paris, perfectly placed next to a railway station, which would whisk us by train straight into uh, Disneyland the next morning. So the evening before the big day, we walked up to the station uh, just to confirm the train times. And as I was uh, struggling to make sense of the French timetable system, uh, a helpful local came up to me and said, uh, can I help? And in my stumbling French, I tried to explain that we were heading to Disneyland tomorrow and we thought we'd got the right station. She said, uh, you're not going to Disneyland tomorrow on the train. <laughs> and I said, why not? She said, ah, because there's a complete uh, strike on all public transport in Paris tomorrow. Uh, ils sont en grève, which is a kind of, if you've ever been to France, that's a, that's a, a statement you hear quite a lot. They're always on strike, en grève. A hiccup in our plan, but we weren't going to be put off and we'd already paid for the tickets. So with such a destination as our incentive, we set off early the next morning to drive to the magical kingdom. Unfortunately, the strike meant that the whole of Paris was forced to use their cars the next morning, and we spent the whole morning, the whole morning, crawling around Paris's equivalent of the North Circular to complete a journey which should have taken about 40 minutes. In fact, that's what it took on the way back. You can imagine the number of times three young lads in the back of the car asked the question, are we there yet? You may be wondering, what has this got to do with our new One Another teaching series that we kick off today, beginning with love one another? Well, we too are on a journey to a very special and totally exciting destination, a place of genuinely Christian, Christ-like, loving community. But if you were to ask the, are we there yet question, I would need to respond 
we've still got some way to go, folks. We've prayed it this morning. Our love is like the morning mist, which fades as the heat gets turned up. But the reason I'm linking this uh, tough message with a long-ago Disney trip is that I don't want you to feel discouraged by that. I want you to feel incentivized to keep going with this journey. We may be some way off, and there are obstacles along the way, but as with our family trip, the point is we're on the way. It's not that we haven't started yet. It's not that we're terrible. We're on the way. We're still some way off. But we have an end in mind which makes the journey worthwhile. It's just not going to be that smooth train ride (laughs) that you were hoping it was going to be. There will always be an engrève somewhere. There'll always be a strike somewhere along the journey. So what is the destination that Jesus calls us to head for? And what are the obstacles along our way? How can we be resourced to get there? And what's the reward of our persistence? That's what we're going to look at. Uh, most of it, in case those of you who, are, who time things get worried, most of it is going to be on the destination. And then a bit on resources, and then even uh, no, a bit on obstacles, a bit less on uh, resources. And when we get to the reward, you really know you've got to the reward because we'll be finished just to set out where we're going. Our main focus is the destination. Let's think about this loving community that Jesus calls us uh, to create. That's our kingdom of heaven rather than the magic kingdom of Disney. So if a kid can get excited at Disney, how much more should we be? So I thought it would be good to have a look at a kid getting excited at Disney to sort of inspire us here. So John, are we lined up with our video? We will be in a minute. Let me set the scene for you. This is uh, Lily. Some of you may have seen this. It's a very, you know, well-watched YouTube video. Uh, Lily thinks she's on her way to school with her sister Chloe, I think, in the back of the car. Mum and Dad are in the front. They're on their way to school with all their school stuff. And as they approach the, the kind of pulling-in slot for the school... Dad doesn't stop. The car goes on by. Here's the video. No, wait, let's Hi, Amy. Some at recess. Yeah. Okay. Oh. Uh. Daddy passed school. <laughs> oh, <dear. laughs> oh, no honey. school. Pull over. Oh, no God. school. <laughs> oh, sorry, just pull over in the side. No school. Oh, I'll just pull over right here. No school, no school, no school, no school. <laughs> Say no school. No. <laughs> no school. You want to ditch school today? Uh huh. Let's ditch school today. Yay! I think we should ditch school and go to Disneyland. Yeah. What do you think? Yeah. Okay. Let's go. You're serious? Yeah. No. We're going to no. Disneyland again. Yes, honey. Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh, honey.
Bethany. We're going again. Oh my god, Chloe. Oh my god. Chloe, we're going to Disneyland. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> yeah, we're going, Lily, for three days. It's become it's become quite a famous meme, apparently, if you know what a meme is, of the of the slightly less excited sister. And whenever something potentially exciting happens, uh, and it's not what people hope, they put up a picture of, of Chloe. But our focus is on Lily. Uh, and you know, when I announced that we were um, ditching school and heading to the heavenly kingdom of loving community with one another, I didn't see anyone burst into tears with excitement. I didn't see anyone saying, yes, Paul, let's go for it. But if they can get excited about a trip to Disneyland, maybe we can get excited about the, the direction that Jesus is taking us because we're talking about something better than being invited to skip school and go to Disneyland. This command is so important. Love one another as I have loved you. That Jesus awaits speaking it until his last night with his disciples, his last meal hanging out with them around the table. He knows that time is, is running out. He's uh, soon going to depart to a place where they will not be able to follow him. After three years of being their constant companion and inspiration. And in this moment, he solemnly says, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. First thought might be, hang on a sec. That's not a new command. We heard it last week in Owen's teaching about Leviticus 8.19. Has Jesus suddenly forgotten this? Of course not. As an ex-marketing man, I can reveal to you a little marketing secret that the increase sales of a product can be guaranteed simply by slapping the word new onto the packaging. You don't have to do anything else. As consumers, we're so taken up by the idea of newness that if we see new on a packet, more of us will buy it. This command is not new in that way. It's not a new bit of fancy packaging. It's new in that it's the same commandment redefined in the actions of Jesus. It was always meant to be like this, but we never got it before. And part of why Jesus came was to show us what it really meant to love one another. So just remind ourselves what had already happened that night. Jesus got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel round his waist. Pause. Loving one another means stepping away from the thing that we were doing, getting up from the table. Loving one another means taking off our outer layers of importance. The robe was the rabbi's uniform. Jesus took it off. Taking off our masks of protection. Our attitudes 
of prejudice. Loving one another means taking up instead the humble tools of servant-hearted service of those around us. How are we doing with each of these? Where, where are we on that journey? Are we stuck at the beginning in a traffic jam? For example, are we consumed with our own busy agenda? It's not an attack on busyness. That's the world in which we live. But we can be so consumed by it that we can't step away from it to love those around us? Can we glance up from our distraction, screen-filled lives to spot the needs that are right on our doorstep as well as further afield? Are we protective of our masks, our roles, our status, even our long-held prejudices? These things take time to strip off and to lay down. It said Jesus laid down his robe. It's the same word Jesus used when he said, I will let the good shepherd will lay down his life. This is costly stuff, but Jesus never said it would be any different from that. And to do so takes us nearer our destination. To do these first things is to prepare us for taking up the unglamorous and humble and often unnoticed and hidden tools and deeds of service. The story goes on. Then Jesus poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Pause. Loving one another means getting our hands dirty. There's no clean way, no hygienic way to do that getting our hands dirty in acts of service which aren't even your job. There's the surprise. Not even your job doesn't mean you shouldn't be doing it. The appropriate lowly servant wasn't there that night, we don't know why, but no one else chose to lower themselves to do the job except Jesus. Loving one another can mean taking the choice to just get on with doing the job, even the unpleasant and unwelcome jobs that aren't yours. How are we doing? Where are we on the journey? Often it's easier to complain that something hasn't been done. We moan. We tell others how terrible it is. We start one of those conversations which just escalates. We send an email. That will get it sorted. And all this achieves is to take us down some cul-de-sac diversion on our journey towards love for one another. This is very practical. The most visible way we will see this love worked out is in the simple acts of hands-dirty, loving service that we do for one another. And loving one another means no favoritism and no exclusions. Think about it. Jesus washed the feet of one who resisted him in his shame and embarrassment. Jesus washed the ones who'd been arguing along the road about who was the most important, missing the point altogether. 
Jesus washed the feet of the one who would soon be doubting the resurrection. Jesus washed those who got confused and made mistakes. Jesus even took tenderly in his hands and massaged, that's the sense behind the washing word in this passage, massaged gently, tenderly, lovingly the dirty feet of the one who would that night betray him. To love one another is not to exclude. It's not love one another except for that person or in this case or when you feel like it. And because Jesus set the bar so high in redefining love one another, we must set the bar low in how we reach out and deal with one another and what we expect of one another. Do you get that? For Jesus to set the bar high means that we set the bar low. We don't require anything of the person next to us. We let them start from ground level, base camp. We don't make them jump over a hoop before they're worthy of our love and attention. And actually, can I just say that that setting the bar low uh, applies to everyone? But can we particularly apply it to the people who stand up the front here? not saying that today just because I'm the preacher. I'm saying that today because I'm actually not in charge of anything anymore. And I think I couldn't say this when I was in charge of things because it felt like my kind of personal agenda. But you know, anyone who stands at the front here, uh, whether it's to preach, to lead, to pray, to read from the Bible, to play in the worship band, it's taking a huge risk. They're putting themselves on the line and we sometimes set the bar quite high. Uh, and we shouldn't. We should be thankful that they've taken that risk uh, and blessed them for it. Uh, in the, I think in the last three years or so that I was, I was vicar here, for those that are new, I was vicar here once a long time ago. I think in the last three years there wasn't a Sunday when at the end of one of the services, someone didn't come and tell me something that had been wrong. I've never said that out loud before. Um, and you are lovely people. They were lovely people. But we, I, I'm the same. When I'm sat there, if there's a misspelling on the screen, I see it. <laughs> you know, if the video doesn't work at the right moment, unlike this morning, we notice it. I've got that critical eye. It's the way I was brought up. But I have to choose to lower the bar. The other thing about that three years or so of being told what was wrong with the church, at a time when actually the church was thriving and growing and, you know, flourishing in remarkable ways, but not perfect, because, folks, it's not going to be, never was, never will be, this side of heaven, the other thing about those things that people told me is that none of it was new to me. No one ever told me something I hadn't spotted. <laughs> those of us that lead the church know the stuff that's wrong. We're working on it. I say that without any permission from the leadership of the church, uh, but just with the insight of my background as the days when I used to be a leader. 
Um, set the bar low. Set the bar low for the folk up the front. Set the bar low for the people alongside you. Set the bar low for the people who haven't yet come in through the doors. No favoritisms, no exclusions. Because remarkable things happen when we do that. This love holds together difficult relationships. Another quick story. I did a placement part of my training in, a, in an area with really dysfunctional relationships. It was a really tough area on the outskirts of Nottingham. It was called Top Valley, but people around thought of it as Bottom Valley because that's the sort of housing, the sort of people that got dumped there in the, in the eyes of you know, those who had power full of absolutely amazing people, and it was a privilege to work there for a year. But it was problematic. And those relationships, it's good news, were reflected in the church. The church was complex too. One man in the church had left his wife to live with another woman, and all three were still worshipping in the same church. You'd sometimes be at the front, and the bloke would be somewhere near, the, it was chairs in a hall. The bloke would be somewhere in the middle, and one of his partners that side, and one of his partners that side interesting times when we came to share the peace. And I said to the vicar one day, don't you think it would be easier if at least one of them went to a different church? And Mark said to me, why should they? Isn't this the very place where in the midst of the most messy, complicated human relationships, peace should be possible? We're not there yet, but we're working on it. And I'm ashamed that when I reflect on it now, my response was to try and make it easier than it really is. My response was trying to make me comfortable, not them. The kingdom we're heading for is one in which lions lie down with lambs. That's how extraordinary it's going to be. That's why, that's why we want to get there. I want to see some lions lying down with lambs and the human equivalent of that too. It's easy to love the ones who are like us, the ones who haven't hurt us, the ones uh, who are in the in-group the nice, kind, thoughtful ones. But that doesn't take us very far along the road. That's like inching forward half an inch, and we've got like 40 miles to go to get to Disneyland. If we want to break out of our white, middle-class, comfortable ghetto as we grow, if we want to, our love for one another to be more like Jesus' love for us, then we need to step across previously demarked boundaries and start loving the people who've upset us in the past. The people who are hard to love, the awkward, the difficult, the ones on the edge. And Jesus is redefinition of the love command goes even further than this. Every act of, of that night, the foot washing stuff, prefigures what's about to happen in the cross stuff that follows. He was arrested, falsely accused, beaten, 
nailed to a cross. Loving one another means having no limits to that love. For Jesus, that meant death. Pause. In contrast, how easily do we give up on others? How easily do I give up on others? How far are we willing to pursue the reconciliation of a disagreement? Or do we put it on the back burner and make do with a lesser relationship that will always be tainted by the unresolved issues of the past? These are like the roadworks on the journey. We may need to do some digging. We may need to do some pickaxing, some drilling down, not just resurface over the past until the underneath stuff has been fixed. We might need help with that. But this is what it looks like. Quote from Owen last week. It's the love that goes first and reaches out even to idiots like me. If you want to know the context of that, listen to last week's talk. I need to clarify here. No limits is not the same as no boundaries. No limits is not the same as remaining exposed to abusive or toxic relationships. Self-care is important too. It's what I speak about most often. And boundaries are a vital part of ensuring we can go on loving one another. Keep hold of that too amongst the challenge. Are you getting how big and important this journey is? This is a love previously unseen but laid out before us in this last 24 hours of Jesus' life. But it's a hard journey. It's a hard journey because of, you know, how big the destination is, but because of the obstacles along the way. We've done the main bit. The obstacles are the next bit. Not only was there a huge volume of traffic on our journey, but because of that, there were accidents, there were roadworks, there were diversions along the way. It was a nightmare journey. So too is our journey towards loving one another. Let me introduce you to a remarkable man called Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He understood the reality of trying to live this command and the obstacles along the way. And he worked all that out in the cauldron, the crucible of a hostile Nazi regime in pre-war and wartime Germany. And in spite of all of that, he remained committed to community formation, a commitment which would ultimately lead to arrest, false accusation, imprisonment, and death. That sounds like a familiar pattern. And Bonhoeffer, in this time, wrote a book on community and community living entitled Life Together. Last time I heard it was still required reading before you enter community life at places like Lee Abbey. don't know whether that's still the case. I'm getting a nod from a Lee Abbey person. Bonhoeffer looks at the sort of obstacles that destroy community. Many come with their preconceived ideas. You come to church and you've heard it's supposed to be a loving place and you're surprised when it's not quite as nice as you thought it was going to be. 
This isn't a cozy idea, but a challenging command. Putting others first doesn't come naturally. Some people are very easy to love. Some people aren't very easy to love. Even in this church, I'm not looking at anyone as I say that. There's nothing about walking through the doors of this building that suddenly makes you a really easy-to-get-along-with person. And when community doesn't meet our idealized view, we try to bend both people and God to our will. We want our desires fulfilled because that's the most natural human thing. But Christ-like love serves, looks to the needs of others. And community requires us to have the meekness to submit, to serve others, and love our enemies. And so Bonhoeffer's guiding principle is that community is not a goal we obtain, but something that we are engaged in every day by serving others instead of seeking to have our love, our own desires fulfilled. It's a moment-by-moment and everyday journey. Bonhoeffer also uh, warns of a toxic attitude that destroys community, judgmental attitudes. His advice in the face of this bump in the road is to encourage community members to refrain from any speech that does not edify, does not build up the body. Just shut up. <laughs> you know? Don't, don't say it. And the more you don't say it, the less you'll probably think it, too. Talking people down, moaning about church, bickering with one another, are all fatal to community. For this reason, his guiding principle here is to advise community members to hold their tongue. And the little rule is that you never speak about another person um, in their absence. Or certainly not negatively about another person in their absence. So that we avoid using criticism to gain advantage over another person. Bonhoeffer reminds us that communities are varied. They consist of strong and weak, talented and untalented. To exclude one in favor of the other means death for the community. Each member must be included, have a purpose, and make a contribution to the community. And the meek person is able and willing to associate with the people that aren't like them. Loving one another requires that community members must learn to bear with one another in our fallibility. We all have attitudes, habits, and characteristics that clash with other believers. We have logs in our own eyes, too. And you need to know that the speck in your neighbor's eye that really irritates you such that you want to take it out is very often just a reflection of the log that's in your eye. So think about the person who irritates you most and ask, what is it about me that needs to change? His guiding principle is familiar to us from our James series and also from Philippians. Let everyone be quick to hear, slow to speak, Slow to anger, do nothing from rivalry or conceit, and in humility, 
look to the interests of others before your own. I'm not holding back, you may have noticed, <laughs> this morning. I want you to know this is a tricky journey. I want you to know it's a worthwhile journey. There are lots of hazards along the way. But that's why it needs to be a command that we love one another rather than just advice, so that at precisely those times when we would like to quit, we're reminded that there is no opt-out to this. There's no sub-clause. There's no small print. This is the journey we're on. So how can we be resourced? Each section shorter than the previous one. We're nearly there. We took with us some resources for that journey to Disneyland. You know, three boys scrunched up in the back of a hot car traveling at zero miles per hour. Sandwiches, sweets, fruit, drinks, games, all help to keep at bay the why aren't we there yet question. Beyond our teaching and encouragement, our ultimate resource, this is what's on your side and what is already sounding impossible. Our ultimate resource is that the one who commands us to love is the one who first loved us. The one who commands us to love is the one who first loves us. That was Jesus' resource too. Chapter 13 of John's Gospel begins with the words, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, that he had come from God and was returning to God. He knew what his Father, God, thought of him. He knew what his father had given him. He knew who he was in terms of where he'd come from and where he was going. And so he loved his disciples to the end. He was free to do that. Our greatest resource in our journey towards loving one another is to know that we ourselves are first loved by God. If you do not believe this, feed on it and return to it often you will consistently fail in your attempts to love others. Our own needs come into play, our resources run dry, and our love will be twisted into something which looks to gain, not to give. I've spoken recently of these identity issues, so you might want to turn back to that, and there are notes too in the current magazine on identity and humility, looking in the mirror stuff. But even here and now this morning, in the presence of God, in the presence of the God who loves us, feed on your knowledge of the love of God for you as you are, and then find ways to tap into that every day. And remember that Jesus asked the Father to send the Holy Spirit to come to us, to enable us, to live in us, uh, to help us to cry out to him as Abba, Father, and then to bear within us the Spirit's fruit, the first of which is love. And there's a bit of patience and kindness further along that list too. It's much easier to love others when we overflow with the love of God for ourselves. Dallas Willard says, the most exalted outcome of submersion in Christ, really digging in, tapping in to Jesus, is the transformation of the inner self to be like him. 
It's time to arrive. What the reward is the arrival. Our boys survived that horrendous journey to Disneyland because they really wanted to. I think we've got a picture of us arriving. Afraid not? Oh, okay. That's a shame. Um, it's, not, it's not a problem. <laughs> I was so delighted this morning when I tried to calculate when it was that we actually went, and it was 1998, and I had a look through my archived photos on the computer, and, and our son Tim had scanned in the photos from 1998. Never mind. Uh, picture three little boys, aged six, eight, and ten, standing under the Welcome to Disneyland Paris sign with their exhausted dad <laughs> alongside, finding we had to join another queue to get in. <laughs> That's the picture. That's all you need. That's fine. I actually asked Chris, Chris, six-and-a-half-year-old Chris, 25-year-old Chris, still lives at home. I said to him yesterday, do you remember going to Disneyland Paris? Uh, and he said, yeah, of course I do. I said, what, what do you remember? Do you, do you remember that the journey was quite hard? He said, he said this, I wrote it down. Um, let me find his exact words. He said, I remember there was lots of traffic on the way but I definitely remember being in the park more than being on the journey. And I said to him, Chris, you've just ended my sermon for me. <laughs> and he was quite surprised. Thought, thought, thought it might persuade him to come. I remember that there was lots of traffic on the way, but I definitely remember being in the park more than being on the journey. And th that's the hope I'm setting out before you this morning in the reality of the hardships we're going to remember being in the park more than being on the journey. The destination was so wonderful that even the hardest journey was worthwhile. In the face, friends, turn your, turn your clocks back to 1998. Star Wars rides, 4D Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, and a live version of Disney's Mulan together with the rest of the park the journey's hardships faded away. And that's true for us too. We're not heading for some commercial enterprises set of quick thrills and temporary highs and lows. We're demonstrating the reality of the kingdom of God in this community. And that love gets noticed. The way the presence of the absent Jesus is made known and visible in the Christian community is by our love for one another. To neglect this is to obscure for others the chance to see and know Jesus. Now, if you're like me, we often feel weak in the area of witness because we think we've got to be the best speaker or know all the answers or be especially holy. But if we get our love for one another right, then Jesus promised that that will prove the reality of our discipleship above everything else. Instead of asking questions of others or trying to find the right words to squeeze into our conversations or wonder whether they'll respond to our invitation to come to church, they'll be queuing up to ask us questions. They'll be saying, when's your next service? How can I get involved? How can I be part of this community? As people 
come to know the love of Jesus for themselves. The wonderful possibility is that more and more people in this city and beyond will see the gospel at work in us and respond to it in their own lives. Jesus said, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. By this shall all people know that you are my disciples, by your love for one another. It's said that John the Elder, who wrote the letters of John, reached the end of his life only having one sermon, and it was a short one, unlike this. It just said, he just kept saying to the people, they wheeled him on in his old age, and he just said, love one another, love one another, love one another. And I love that. That may be where I end up too. Both because we keep preaching it, both because we haven't arrived yet, so we keep needing to steer people in the right direction. And also because as all the other stuff that we previously thought was so important fades away, this is what we are left with. The greatest of these is love. Love one another as I have loved you. Let's stand. We've got five minutes before anyone need pick up kids or anything. So let's, um, let's pray. And with that wonderful backdrop of a sermon, let's each ask the Spirit of God to speak to us. I'm sure he already has, and hearts have already been quickened, but examine your life. So come, Holy Spirit, come speak to your people. days after Easter, the disciples on the road to Emmaus walking along with the Jesus coming alongside them and they said, um, upon reflection of this realization that it was Jesus with them, they said, yes, when our, our hearts, were they, were they not quickened within us? That sense of 
pulse quickening presence of God, this inevitable realization, this deep conviction that might be forming the the deepest stuff of our lives that God's finger might be pressing on in these sorts of moments as we open up to him. If that deep stirring is going on with you, then can I encourage you to get someone to pray with you? Maybe someone you know you've come with, um, or one of there's a there's a bunch of us who. Why don't those people who are somewhat trained to pray with people come? Uh, they got yellow badges on, and they'll come down here once we're finished. And they'd love to pray with you, stand with you, encourage you, listen perhaps to anything that you'd like to share with them, and then just pray for God to to bless you, to continue to be involved with his his finger in on the, the deepest parts of our lives, of our hearts, of our love. So those prayer ministry people, can they come and gather down here? So, yeah, come for anything, but um, remember at the heart of what I said was, were the resources. So if there's, if there's folk who say, well, I don't really know that Jesus loves me that much or God loves me that much, we'd love to pray for you. If you want more of the Spirit's uh, power and fruit and enabling in this love, we'd love to pray for you. If, if you need to repent... Of a, of a lack of love, that's okay. Because remember how low the bar is for you? Uh, we'd love to pray with you for that. If you need to have a conversation uh, with someone with whom you need to say sorry, um, do that too. And ask for help if you need it.